1: This is The Bill Press Show. What do you say, everybody? Great to see you today. And it is Labor Day here, a special edition of The Bill Press Show for this Labor Day, when we remember and salute and honor all of America's working men and women at whatever jobs out there every day supporting their families, Uh, and uh, they get our uh, appreciation, our gratitude, Uh, and we are so pleased to welcome to the studio uh, one of the leaders of America's labor movement today. We honor uh, all American workers, union members, and non-union members, but particularly those union members, and one of our great union leaders today, President Eric Dean of the Ironworkers Union. Mr. President, it's great to see you. How are you, Bill? Happy Labor Day. Happy Labor Day to all the listeners. And we... um, Appreciate very much the support of the iron workers for our program, and we often and we often, when we talk about that, we say the iron workers who are building America's communities today and ready to rebuild America's infrastructure tomorrow. That's still the mission, right? Ready, ready. Yeah, you're yeah. you're at it. So first, let's talk a little bit about um, the state of the labor movement today. I saw I checked this morning, as of twenty seventeen last year. Uh, the level of union membership in this country across the board, private and public, 10.7%. It was double that maybe 20 years ago. No doubt. Yeah. What's happened?
2: Uh, we've had a s- historic trend line downward. Uh, the labor movement had, uh, in, for our organization, 1980 was our high water mark. Hmm. The laws, um, maybe we rested on our laurels, a combination of complacency. But uh, there's definitely a concerted effort in controlling judicial issues that affect our ability to bargain. And we maybe lost our way uh, in the, at least in my union as far as the ability to organize. Um, we relied solely on an apprenticeship training program method which is tried and true and, and we were very proud of it. but to resupply the workforce, we, kind of abandoned talking to workers and whatnot mm-hmm. and then the laws really restrict our ability they you know and they locked up workplaces and um they uh, until the obama administration's expedited nlrb ruling where you could call for faster card check elections we, we saw this delay and stall tactic that happened and what would happen is oftentimes you'd hire a union busting attorney in any organizing campaign they'd play out the clock and they'd bargain with you and they check the box and say we met and oftentimes it came to no resolve and the workers didn't feel power yeah in the last two years i don't know if it's uniting against um, the current political environment or whatnot you've seen teachers that couldn't bargain uh, revolt in mass you've seen different things and we we're enjoying some success in our organizing ability we're seeing workers want to be represented and have collective bargaining
1: is part of the problem that. a lot of uh, younger workers today don't realize that uh, the benefits that they enjoy in terms of salary or safe working conditions or health care uh, or vacation time and everything, that that didn't come easy. It just didn't, it's not like picking an apple off the tree, right? They don't realize that the unions are the ones that went out there and fought and delivered those. And now they sort of they want them all, but they don't want to join the union. We
2: we took for granted, I think, as a society. I talked to neighbors, folks in my community, and you say, "Well, you know, we don't need unions today because like employers are fair." They don't realize the hard-fought gains that were fought for and gained, and uh, and would be taken away if they we had. we joke a little bit about our entry-level members, even in our union, that they they make uh, they take some spatial aptitude tests, they get selected for an apprenticeship. They put a sticker on their hat, and they think that instantly makes them a trade unionist, and they don't realize all all that was fought for by the union movement, not only for the union members, but for everyone yeah. underneath. That We, we floated and we got major labor law reform across the board uh, for the benefit of, of all working men and
1: women. So you alluded to this a little bit, but are there efforts today to really go out and... Uh, and organize and bring in new members and say, look, this is what the stakes are, and this is why it's important to to be a member of this union. Do you see any any turn at all? At all?
2: I, I do. I do. I believe you know. I I, I sit on a uh, on the AFL Executive Council, so I see my brothers and sisters in the in the entire labor movement really putting an emphasis on organizing, talking to workers, and building campaigns around um, fairness in the workplace. And you're seeing. Um, The downturn in the post-08 economy, I think, awakened people to the fear that Mm -hmm. without collective bargaining, without collective action, you don't really have the opportunity. And then in the building and construction trades, you know, um, we lost market share across the board. And we're recognizing the fact that we need to talk to workers, organize the employers, in addition to our state-of-the-art apprenticeship trade. What
1: about the... um the particularly in the construction industry, the contractors that you work with, the, the the developers, the people who put up the money for the building, then they hire workers to build that structure. Um, are they you, are they ever on your side, I guess do you ever make common cause with them? It seems to me that they would want the most skilled workforce that they can really depend on. One
2: of the most unique things that my union does, it's not unique to my union. But uh, within our sector of the ironworking industry is we have a labor management program, and we are at one. We are stakeholders in the industry. Our signatory contractors are our best partners. Hmm. They risk their capital. They secure work. But
1: These the, are the builders and the developers, right? That's correct.
2: Yeah. Some of the builders and developers are looking for cheap, and they exploit labor and whatnot. So, you know, you play into the current administration's rationale about illegal immigrants and whatnot. Um one of our biggest challenges is when we want to go talk to workers. If there's undocumented workers in the workforce, we want those people to get fairly compensated for the work they do, irregardless of their skin color, their language, or whatnot. And oftentimes the laws kind of hamper mm-hmm. us from bringing them out of the darkness because um, there's this whole culture. And I think there are some low-road contractors and low-road developers who want to exploit the undocumented worker. And, you know, we're, we're trying to uh, – we have a whole other topic. I don't want to take you off of Labor Day. Um, the president currently has uh, got a jihad against TPS, temporary protective yes, status. Yes, yes. I, I noticed that I you... can't tell you how many members are in my union that are here legally from some reason where they left their country, and they are legally documented workers, and they're getting the rugs pulled out from underneath them. I thought they were talking about this whole underground economy, but instead they're going after legally protected workers, but that's a topic probably. No, familiar. no,
1: no, that's that's uh, absolutely right on point. In fact, uh, I have a new book coming out next month, Trump Must Go, uh, the top 100 reasons to dump Trump. And one of the things I talk about it is this temporary protected status program where these are people who came here either because of some natural disaster like earthquake or... Uh, or her, volcanic eruptions or hurricanes or whatever, um, or from civil war, civil war Unrest, like in El Salvador, yeah. right? And they're here and they've, uh, from many, many different countries, they do have, under this TPS program, legal status. They may not be citizens, but they're here, at legal status. And Donald Trump has pulled the rug out from under all of those, whether it's uh, El Salvador or, I forget, the um, um, Haiti, you know, other countries, and just said, oh, no, no. We're going to end that program. Y'all got to go back.
2: President Obama through his executive order shined a light on DACA, so that rolls off the tongue. All Americans know about the, the DACA the Dreamers deferred program. Action yeah, the Dreamers. We have members that uh, are working under that, which had temporary legal status based on the president's executive order. Current administration is looking to undo that. Very few people even know about the TPS program. They're, they're vested members in our union. They, I mean they have pensions, they have so health So they care, are union members. You,
1: Undocumented workers can belong to a union. They're actually
2: legally documented
1: TPS. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. And
2: and you know what, truth be told, um it's the employer's responsibility for I9 verification. Mm-hmm. The union is seeking fairness in the workplace and they don't they're trying we're trying to stop some of this exploitation by the low-road developers and contractors. But our fair ones, you know, there's a difference between the people who employ our members. They want them to be compensated. They want want a good pool of benefits so that they stay in the workforce and they stay around. They may not employ them 52 weeks out of the year. They may share them with their other peers. That's the beauty of the way our uh, multi-employer construction trade goes is uh, they share employees. They send them back to the union hall and then they get one uh, or the same uh, employee back and that, that's the beauty of the construction industry. You know, we've had some friends who talk about jobs and they say that certain jobs are, are temporary jobs. The career is permanent. It's the construction site. We go from construction site
1: and yeah, employer to employer. But that's, that's the nature Nature of construction. Yeah, well,
2: we get offended when people (laughs) refer to us as temporary. I told a good friend of mine who made that uh, mistake of saying that, and uh, I'll leave his name out uh, because I I view Uh, him favorably, (laughs) and he's from my home state. And I told him, my son is 30 temporary jobs away from retirement. 'Cause he sought a career in construction. So don't de minimize <laughs> one project as a temporary. Well
1: job. it sort of makes sense when you think about it, you know, you're you're building a building and the building is finished and it comes then, to
2: the end, you move on. Yeah. And you, you either you, stay with the employer and go to his next building or, or you go back to the union hall and then you go you go to work for a like minded employer.
1: Right. I mean, um So uh, maybe we should start here, but uh I just want to be sure that all of our viewers and our listeners understand iron workers, right? I mean like What's the essence of the uh, what are the, uh, as part of building a building right construction industry? What's the role of the iron workers? So uh,
2: I'm gonna do what I hate doing is I'm gonna refer to the common uh, mistake people make. People call us steel workers. Steel workers produce steel in steel mills, aluminum uh-huh. mills, and that type
1: of stuff. Yeah, right. The
2: iron workers, the construction trade, that builds skyscrapers. We build we use structural steel we build with rebar we do uh, the aluminum and stainless steel glass cladding with the glazing contractors and we build building facades uh, highways bridges bridges I um, I say bridges major industrial facilities right and so we are a construction trade but we also have an arm that fabricates the components that we assemble on the job site and so then we have shop iron workers who work in a plant and they take raw steel beams and they turn them into girders they put the holes in and they weld the brackets on or they make stairs out of plate and they turn them or they make handrail out of pipe and uh, so I represent both fabricating ironworkers and construction ironworkers and then within the ironworking we got structural reinforcing architectural ornamental and machinery moving and rigging we do heavy Heavy lifts with major industrial cranes and components. And
1: but stuff. I met with the new, the tallest building now in New York. I guess it is. It took the right the, 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 World, the uh, World
2: Trade Center. The
1: yeah, yes, right. That took the place of the two World Trade Center towers. Well, you know when that big high rise was finished, it was the iron workers, right? Who, the, a,
2: no doubt, from the antenna right. to the building facade on the outside to the concrete, uh, the rebar inside the concrete, and all of the structural steel that made up that
1: building. Yeah. Now, one, as a union member myself, a uh, proud union member for 30-some years, uh, one of the things that I found most exciting this year were the teachers that went out there in, like, Oklahoma, right, in Arizona, not just in blue states, in red states. Uh, and they stopped the clock, and they were able to make bring about some real changes. Um, that, that shows a lot of... Excitement and is it's it,
2: invigorated us across the labor I was going movement. To say, Whether right, you're construction not just trade, teachers, right? Yeah, no, yeah. You know But I mean, um, the entire labor movement is empowered by the collective action of those folks facing against and being a industry stakeholder and in educating. You know, truth, uh, full disclosure, I have two daughters who are National Education Association members, Mm -hmm. and, you know, they felt empowered by the collective action. They're fortunate enough to teach in Illinois under a fair collective bargaining agreement, but when they see teachers' rights stripped in other states, it empowers everyone who's a part of that and who's around or in that industry.
1: Right. And the other big movement that that we've seen uh, in terms of labor activity and getting more people involved was the... $15 $15 minimum wage, particularly around the fast food industry, where I think was particularly maybe the SEIU, Mary Kay Henry, who led that who led that fight. But again, that's the fight that that sort of empowered the entire labor movement.
2: We, we wanted to put a floor under a base wage of what a worker gets so that there's some dignity in their work. And I can't think of anyone who couldn't think that that's not a sustainable or fair wage. Unfortunately, you know, there's... You know, there's a subservient to Wall Street and the stock prices versus the workers. The workers make the wealth, the 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 capitalists risk their capital, but the workers take that risk of capital and they, they create the wealth. They're more worried about stockholders than they are oftentimes the people who generate the profits uh, through productivity. But and I work. mean
1: even at fifteen dollars. A minimum wage—that's hardly a living wage.
2: Oh no, that's a floor for a base. That's and that's what we wanted yeah. to be. Those people are going to dispose of that income. They're going to get in their pocket. We live in a consumption economy. I hate to get all wonky. I'm a, just a <laughs> construction guy. <laughs> yeah. But you put money in working people's pocket, they spend that money, and yeah. the economy yeah. prospers
1: as a result of that. So. Sure. Yeah. And we've seen that. And you give the big tax cuts to the wealthiest people who don't need a uh, a tax cut, right? And what do they do? It they just squirrel it away somewhere, They're, right? It's not going out into the economy. It's not yeah, going we out. we
2: were frustrated by the tax policy, not that it wasn't necessary. Having even walked a fine line between people who were against and for repatriation, we thought we we thought and were kind of half promised that there might be some debt service vehicle by the repatriated money creating an infrastructure bank to use that money and then give them discounted tax breaks on the way back. We didn't realize it was gonna just go back into share buybacks. and
1: Which is which yeah. is what's done. So what happened to infrastructure? I mean, Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders both ran in the primary and then John, Donald Trump in the general infrastructure, $1 trillion, right? The first thing I'm going to do, we're going to rebuild America's bridges and highways and water systems across the board. I haven't heard anybody talk about infrastructure for a year. It was Certainly not Donald Trump. The administration's priorities
2: and the failure to take up infrastructure first, I think, was a very strategic misstep. Um, if they, Donald Trump had, he would have had bipartisan support Right. There's no doubt. You know, America's bridges aren't owned by capitalists or labor. Working men and women drive. It's not just because I build roads and bridges. My kids drive on them when they drive to their jobs. Goods get to market through infrastructure, rail, air, transportation, water. Every healthy society relies on a strong infrastructure, not an outdated or decaying one. And so everyone running for president, everyone. I sit on the AFL, I, I think we interviewed five candidates for presidency. Everyone had an infrastructure uh, component. The problem is, is how do you pay for it? And, you know, so as much as the president promised, I think Congress got to get off their butt and they got to find a way to have sustainable funding and pay for, even if it's at the risk of incurring debt. Because it betters society as a whole. I, I I have a cabin in the north woods. They build an overpass and an interchange there. Four years later, there's businesses at every intersection. Everyone benefits by that. The the citizens who commute can get on the mm-hmm. highway and get to work faster. And but the problem is, is not only new infrastructure or it, it's the existing stuff that we have that we're not really maintaining, and that's what's getting that low grade. And the longer it decays, it becomes costlier to replace things than it is to repair them on an ongoing manner.
1: It was just a couple of weeks ago that we saw this bridge in Genoa, Italy, collapse. Um, I mean, there are bridges in, in not to to put the fear fear or scare try to scare people, but there are bridges in this country that are not great in great shape. Bill, you
2: go back uh, with the uh, leaders of my organization for a long period of time. Jake West wrote a white paper on the Our decay good of infrastructure. Really? Yes. Yeah. Mr. Hunt reauthored that white paper. President uh, Wise, my predecessor, mm-hmm. we, we've talked, we've walked the halls of Congress. And, and, you know, it's it's something that we're ready to do, uh, but there's no willingness. And, and I have a little scenario of why I think it's so hard is, Congress uh, only thinks in two-year terms. Mm-hmm. They just think about their mm-hmm. next re-election, and mm-hmm. there's only so much they can accomplish. Senators think are four or six years at a time, and presidents and governors tend to think in in uh, four- or eight-year terms. Infrastructure takes a 10- to 20-year comprehensive long-range plan. You've got to have the debt instruments. You've got to have the engineering. You've got to do the environmental impact studies, and— Nobody is that long-range of a thinker. Everybody's just the squirrel with the nut. They're thinking yeah. about, how do I get reelected? So it's easier to patch a pothole than it is to plan for a bridge, a river crossing, or a, a lock and dam or whatever, you know.
1: No, I think your analysis is absolutely right. I mean, the idea that a member of Congress could think uh, 12 months ahead, right, let alone five years. And it used to be the transportation plan, the transportation bill, that was the one thing. You'd have Republicans and Democrats agreeing on. They would pass a five-year plan at a time. Hell, they can't get a one-year plan out of Congress these days.
2: Yeah, they passed the bill in the last administration. And, um, you know, the current administration was kind of t- t- disentangling some of the money and then reprioritizing it. And they're proposing private sector funding. Uh, as an individual, not a big fan. But if that's the vehicle to get it going, we're going to see if we can't pull our assets together and help take stock and some. But you can't t- toll every road. You can't no, toll right? every flush yeah. of a toilet. Every time you turn your <laughs> faucet on, you're going to have to pay for water to come out of the pipe. There's got to be some level things that society demands that the government provides.
1: No, I mean, just jumping at myself here, with but the, the, the problem with as this administration seems to be, um, does simple, certainly prefer and is pushing with private funding for infrastructure is the people who put up their private money are going to build what they can make money off of. They're not necessarily going to build what the public needs.
2: Ms. Senator Barrasso has said, well, you know, that's great for the tunnel to New York, but it's not going to help people of Wyoming because there's not enough cash to be made off of tolling any kind of road or bridge that's right. built out
1: there. Now. Every single member of the Iron Workers Union is great, is a hero, is a hard worker. We love them all. But there's one that we particularly love, and that's a guy named Randy Bryce out in Wisconsin. Iron Stash. We're excited he's, about his canvas. He's been here. He's been in, in the studio with us. And he's So tell us about it. He's running for Congress. He, he's a rank-and-file
2: iron worker out of uh, Milwaukee, Local 8. That's one of our early uh, founding locals. Uh, he's had a career. He was a big activist when... Uh, the state took away collective bargaining rights, and he was uh, set at the center of some of that uh, uh, ma- massive uh, rallies that went on uh, at the state When Scott Capitol. Walker that's was taking correct.
1: collective bargaining away, right?
2: So when he declared his candidacy sight unseen, I said, well, that's a big task going against the Speaker of the House. He's got yeah. a big war chest. <laughs> Paul I said, Ryan. Uh, But you know what? Ironworkers, uh, we always have each other's back. So for us, I told him, you name the place where and when you need me. So I've been to Texas with him. I've been up to Milwaukee. We just commemorated the loss of some members who were killed at the Brewer Stadium. And Randy came out to help commemorate his fallen brothers. Uh, we've had him up at headquarters. And uh, we're going to push, uh, put our shoulder to the wheel. We have one member of Congress, uh, Peter, Oh, not Peter Lynch, Stephen Lynch. Peter mm-hmm. Lynch is the investor. Yeah. Stephen Lynch out of uh, Massachusetts is a uh, member of uh, mm-hmm. the Ironworkers, and we're we're looking forward to having our second.
1: Well, Randy Bryce uh, has already knocked uh, Paul Ryan off, right? Yeah, he's yeah. got Paul Ryan not running for re-election, so I'm sure he's got a Republican opponent there. But I think it's a very exciting race, and he's he's a great candidate. And yeah,
2: we're excited. And he, has, you know, he has warts. Every everybody's human. Uh, they came out with a hit piece, and he recognized. He said, "I made mistakes," and he. He, he said, "You know, that was 20 years ago. A different chapter in my life, and moving on. And you know, it's how you handle your warts when yeah. you're a candidate. Yeah. When people gloss over him or mislead the public, he, he's nothing but an honest, hard working blue-collar guy. And his his voice uh, will be uh, heard strongly. And,
1: and he's also caught on nationwide. I think a lot of people uh, know about him, got his message, and uh, and are and are supporting him. And uh, uh, I hope." more people continue to do so. Go, go, go. That rollout go, go, video
2: go. was killer good. I said, I hope there's a <laughs> couple more good ones like that because it, it was really yeah. impressive.
1: Let's hope so too. So um the end of last week, just before Labor Day, he celebrated Labor Day, President Trump did, by putting a freeze on pay raise for federal employees. Thanks a lot, Donald Trump, right? Uh, he his, his message was basically, we can't afford it. Now, we know there's a lot of other stuff that he can afford, like $54 billion uh, to the Pentagon, an, an additional $54 billion, like um, a trillion dollar tax cut, right, for the wealthiest of Americans. Can't afford a pay raise for federal employees. I know you don't represent federal employees, but uh, this is a an anti-labor message for Labor Day.
2: When, when, it, when any administration harms labor, w- whether it be through right to work, or austerity measures. It affects our ability to collectively bargain. In states with right to work, we see oftentimes 12% less compensation in states that don't have right to
1: work. So it's it's what they call it. It's the right to work for less money. Right,
2: when they, yeah, that's exactly right. So um, what I'll never get on any government who wants to get rid of Davis Bacon, which lowers the wages of construction workers, cut federal workers' wages, they're Diminishing their tax base, the very operational income that governments have. If you listen to the righties, though what they want to do is slash government and government services and put the burden on everyone else. You know they provide very meaningful services. They work sure. at the Veterans Administration. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know how how unpatriotic is it to cut people who work at the VA's wages when we're trying to care for the people who served and fought. For this country. So that federal wage cut stuff, it sounds good with the populist. It pits neighbor against neighbor. You know, just uh, a trade unionist, anything that harms a worker, whether it be in my union or another union, uh, we're strongly
1: opposed. Oh, overall, Donald Trump's record on uh, working men and working families? Well, he peeled off, as you know, I, I
2: told you before, he peeled off about 44% of our members on his. Jobs yeah. uh, rhetoric, but do people
1: now see that he's been in there two years? That they still, do you think they would still vote for him?
2: I, you know, I I think there's a base
1: of people that'll stay with him.
2: We, we had forty percent. We've, we've had forty percent vote for Mitt Romney, so I, <laughs> there's a conservative bent to my my yeah. business. That being said, we're a Democratic leaning organization. You know, his words don't match his rhetoric. There are things that he does that we're excited about, like. If they reconstructed a poorly constructed NAFTA, uh, thumbs up, all in favor of it. The problem is is you get judicial appointments and NLRB appointments that are gutting our ability to have fair collective bargaining that are so pro-business and anti-worker, it makes it hard for us to do that. So uh, it's kind of like they got their arm around you and embracing a pro-jobs agenda, while, well, they're, administratively, while they're stabbing you in the back right yeah there's a stiletto <laughs> pointed at your organs and, right. and so it's it's a very fine line to walk we 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 we're, we're embracing anything that will foster and create more jobs for american workers uh not at the expense of our long-term security and uh, our rights to
1: collectively you, you mentioned the courts, and one big, the biggest, I'm sure, anti-labor decision this year was the United States Supreme Court, the so-called Janus decision, which, again, to me, just created a generation of freeloaders basically saying, yeah, you can get all the benefits of the union, but you don't have to pay your dues, right? Right. How does that, now that was, my understanding, public employees, public employee unions only, right? Well, in states where that's
2: the law of the land broadly, in the construction uh, thing, because I explained to you, a member knows he's got to go back to the hall. He usually pays dues because he wants to be dispatched to his next job. So we don't have the bleed off, per se, Uh that that the public sector does. But when you go to work at a single employer, a lot of folks, they just think, hey, screw you, I got my job. You gotta represent me anyway by this law. Yeah. And it,
1: it's So why just, should I it's, pay for it?
2: It's patently unfair. It's not it, there's no no good way to describe that free loading. And then we're also torn between the fact that we wanna bargain exclusively rather than leaving them independently. We don't want two pools of wages on those job conditions, so we still want the ability for the employer to recognize and bargain.
1: Uh card check. You mentioned this before, but I remember when President Obama was running, the number one priority was card check, card check, card check, what, which simply made it easier for members to form a union. Have a card, put the check on the card. If enough people do it, majority do it, you got a union.
2: In the construction industry in Ontario, I represent United States and Canadian workers. That is the law of the land. That's pretty simple. You, and it works you validate it uh, you get recognized you're obligated to bargain yeah um, some people in the labor movement i have a different opinion than everyone else i was in in favor of efca the employee mm-hmm. free choice act the problem is is they poison the fact that it wasn't through a secret ballot if we yeah. would have just modified our wishes mm-hmm. i think we could have got that through the right. reluctance was hey look they're just going to muscle you into that thing but I really wish we would have had the Employee Free Choice Act, or at least consider that Congress didn't. They went for health care and then um, right. kind of expended capital. No, that, well. would
1: have, that would have worked. That's a good point. Eric Dean is the president of the Iron Workers Union. It's ironworkers.org. Check out the website, all the good things that they're uh, up to all around the country. Uh, Mr. President, on this Labor Day, uh, are you feeling uh, optimistic or pessimistic? I'm optimistic.
2: I, I I'm, I'm always optimistic by nature. We're seeing a lot of union halls. Uh, we're at real high apprenticeship uh, mm-hmm. uh, counts, and uh, so that's there's a big demand. Our organizing is at full tilt. We, we are in a full-scale, both countries, all areas, um, with the exception of Western Canada with the oil sands. Mm-hmm. Everything is uh, pretty strong. Right. Um, we're right. seeing workers everywhere unite. And, and be empowered and emboldened, and uh, I feel good about
1: it. Yeah, so thanks for Donald Trump, maybe, for getting some uh, real energy and some uh, real passion there among, uh, among American working families, American working men and women across the board. I'm glad you're optimistic, Mr. President. On that note of optimism, happy Labor Day again.
2: Thank you, and, and happy Labor Day to all working men and women.
1: And thanks for coming in. Thank it's you. It's the Bill Press Show, Labor Day 2018. This is the Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. This is The
3: Bill Press Show. Yes, it is The Bill Press Show. Hi, everybody. My name is Peter Ogburn sitting in. It's Labor Day. It's Labor Day, and of course, it's a good opportunity to hang out outside, maybe grilling, maybe getting one last pool day in, but no matter what you're doing, you should do it with a nice, cold, tasty beverage. In this case, uh, it should probably be a beer. And of course, nobody knows more about beer. That my buddy Greg Angert, you've seen him on the show many, many times. You've been to come on the show for years now. Uh, yeah, how long has it been? It's, it's honestly, it's been probably like six years, seven years, something like that. Wow. Uh, that you've been joining the show and have we get we get people all the time when you come on and say like I never knew this about beer. You've really opened up a lot of people's minds about beer. You certainly opened up my mind about beer. So we're gonna talk about beer totally. for Labor Day. Now, the last time that we did this, it was just you and me in here. Um, I got a little drunk. Uh, which usually happens. I think that's the point, right? <laughs> yeah. But we brought in a little help uh, today. We have the what has been described as the Chaos Twins from Think Progress, <laughs> Rebecca and Tralgo and Addie Baird, both our friends from Think Progress. You've seen them on the show. Um, just for those of you who want a little peek behind the curtains, it's about 9 in the morning. We're, we're, yeah. we're taping this. We're not here on Labor Day. We're, we're taping this. Um, and it's 9 in the morning on a Thursday, and we're going to drink some beer.
4: Yeah, let's go. Thanks for Best coming It was <laughs> no a really big sacrifice on our part yeah, <laughs> to <laughs> skip work tell. to drink beer on the radio at, at 9, nine in, in the morning, morning on
0: Thursday.
3: <laughs> Greg Engert uh, is responsible for r- most of my favorite beers in town, actually. Uh, he brews at Blue Jacket. He's the beer director for the Neighborhood Restaurant Group. Uh, and he also is the brains behind the most insane beer event maybe in the country that is happening right here in Washington D.C. It's called Snallygaster. Give us some details on Snallygaster. So Snallygaster is this is the
5: seventh year we've done this event, and the the biggest thing it's a it, you're right it's a huge beer festival. We'll have over 400 different beers, the best beers in the world. Um, but it also serves as a fundraiser for Arcadia, which is our uh, nonprofit that uh, we we started uh, a number of years ago, uh, Center for Sustainable Food and Agriculture. So this single event. Um, generates a ton of money for that um, amazing organization. Uh, it's going to be down on Pennsylvania Avenue this year, between Third and Sixth Street, right in front of the Capitol Y'all Building. Y'all have
3: expanded. Yeah, it's, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I it's much saying,
5: bigger. It's like yeah, it's like four blocks. Oh
3: man, I was saying wow. before we got started, like I was there for Snallygaster one, yeah, uh, which was obviously a great success. Back when
5: Navy Yard, yeah. wasn't. exactly, right <laughs> exactly. on the water, it was beautiful. Now and now, now uh-huh.
3: I mean, you've outgrown that. Pretty you know, big space. Yeah, totally. To where, like I mean, you now have to I go think downtown.
5: We had Ten thousand people there last year. We're hoping for twelve this year. Holy cow! Uh, tons of bands. Great food from you know the restaurants and neighborhood restaurant group, but then also our friends throughout the city coming to help out. So it's gonna be uh an amazing i would amazing say time.
3: if you're in washington dc you got to go to it if you're yeah. anywhere close to washington dc you got to come to it if you're not anywhere close to washington <laughs> dc no, make a weekend out of it come yeah, down maybe. here see some washington dc and then come and drink some of the beers and it, it's, it's october 13th this year that's october thing. 13th yeah so saturday
5: in october it should be not quite as warm as it was in september last year yeah. um bigger environs Chris? like you said Ooh. yeah, yeah.
0: Ooh. Um, <laughs> And, um, I, just feel, I
3: missed last year. I wasn't able to be there last year. I know. So. I had a good excuse. I was in a coma. Was say, <laughs> yeah. I was in a coma. You I was were, in a coma. Were, I missed like... it. Yeah, but <laughs> I'm back. I'm fine. I'm yeah, fine. For I'm, fine. This yeah. year. I'm fine. But I'm fine. Like, but I'll be there this year. Yeah, You're damn right I'll be hey. there this year.
5: <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> and it's starting a little bit later, too, that was the other thing. We were making people like get out and get there super early. So like, we have a VIP um, hour and a half. That starts at 11:30, and when you can, you can still get passes for pass. that. <laughs> <laughs> um, when are you gonna get passes? Uh, you go to uh, www.snallygasterdc.com. Hell yeah! And it- and then the general admission is at one, but we're leaving. We're staying open until seven this year, Ooh. so that you can just. Skate right into your evening, on right? going. <laughs> not, not that awkward <laughs> few hours in between the day <laughs> festival and what you're supposed to do that night. Exactly, the like
0: like disco now. Slide into more alcohol. Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
3: <laughs> um, it, just uh, to, to, on on Stanley Gaster for for another moment. It, it, these are brewers from all around the country, all over the world. Both, yeah. So I mean,
5: obviously, there's going to be a huge contingent of local brewers, the yeah. very best from around here. Uh, national brewers, and then we do stock some of our favorite uh, beers from you know overseas, like Lambics from Cantillon and Dre Fontainen, and, and amazing German style beers, and we'll have some uh, British Cascales. So yeah, it really runs the gamut. There's going to be you know. Uh, everything you can imagine and possibly want, we will have that day.
3: I, I'll say it again. If you even have a passing fancy with inebriation, uh, <laughs> you should come check this out. It's because a it's, lot of fun. It's really, yeah, really yeah. cool. It's really, really cool.
0: Is, that a, is
4: October 13th a Saturday? Sunday? Yes, it is. Okay. Yep. Perfect. Not Perfect. Thursday at 9 in the morning. No,
3: not no, no. No no. <laughs> no, no, no. That's
5: just
4: for us. Yeah. Okay, just for okay. Us. Just making sure. Yeah. Well,
3: if you're watching us, uh, you are probably seeing that there is a uh, an array of beers on the table in front of us that we are going to drink. Um, for Labor Day, you know, it's, it's obviously the end of sort of the ceremonial end of summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still pretty damn hot out there, so you don't want anything crazy mm-hmm. heavy. But you can start transitioning a little bit into like, you know, Oktoberfest beers and things like that. Uh, So tell us what you brought uh, today. So uh, I
5: brought two different beers from Blue Jacket, our brewery, down in Navy Yard. We'll kind of start and end with those. And then I brought um, a great local IPA from Crooked Run out in Sterling, Virginia. Nice. Uh, a a Martzen or Oktoberfest of sorts, although this will be the weirdest one you've ever had. It's a, yeah. a Rauch beer, so it's smoked beer. Hell Tastes yeah. like bacon. Um very yes. cool. These Hell are Yeah, you, You're then,
3: always so good at finding breakfast beers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I that. It's yeah. so great.
5: Yeah. I love and then it. the first beer has peaches in it. so it's, it's this is, yeah. and then this we have is a, a well
0: rounded breakfast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then
5: the most classic saison in the world. So I'll start by pouring. This is. Uh, oh, I'm so excited uh, for this. Very yes. close. This one hits close to home. This is our wedding beer. My wife and I got married three years ago. We made this beer for the first time. I know you've had it. I have had it. Uh, and, and I have to again. say,
3: you, you make, I, I mentioned this before, you make my favorite beers in Washington, D.C. Uh, this might be my favorite. Thank you. This really? might be my favorite. It's such it's, a good beer. And it just
5: t- it, We designed it to taste like peach juice. Ooh, I love it's a peach just beer. Great. Really low alcohol. It's only 4%. Mm. Um, so we, we call that a chugging chug beer. That's right. <laughs> Crush it, Greg. chug it. Um,
3: <laughs> And about 2,000 Ooh, pounds.
5: It
4: smells like juice. Oh, it smells so yeah. good.
3: Yeah. All right. I'm going to have a sip. What, so tell us a little bit about what
4: oh, goes yeah. into
3: this. So this
5: is um, just a base sour beer, 4% alcohol. Very light, refreshing, and tart.
1: <laughs> Almost it's like so lemonade.
5: <laughs> yeah. And then we age it on about... 2000 pounds of locally sourced um, peaches. So these this year we got them from the Northern Neck, Virginia. No nice. And then we bring them in, uh, you know, quarter them, pull the pits out and then just steep them on the on the peaches. So um yeah, it's just really crowd pleasing, delicious, easy to drink. Uh, I will
3: never ever not want to drink this beer.
5: It's oh, yeah. such yeah. a good Big beer. Mood. Clean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. And so we've done this now. This is the fourth iteration of the beer. Uh, and each year we've played around with a little bit. The first year it was peaches and nectarines. Then we did mm. peach and apricot. And so this year we just did 100% peaches because we were able to get a bunch of really
3: great ones. Th- that's uh-huh. actually a really interesting que- uh, a question I want to a- a- ask you about. Like, when you have a recipe for beer, yeah. right? Like, you've got a couple of beers that have been there for a long, long right, time. Right, right, right. Like, like Lost Weekend, which uh-huh. is another one of my favorite beers that you do. Do those ever? Do you ever like fool around with those? Oh, and change e- them Every up? single time. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's. What's it, the reaction to that? A lot of
5: a lot of the, a lot of the uh, edits to the recipe and process, I think, go unnoticed because mm. sometimes they're just really subtle. Um, sometimes they're more uh, obvious. Sometimes they're so big that we change the beer's name because, like, oh, wow. yeah, like so. There's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes with that stuff, and even Lost Weekend's a great example. That's an IPA that we brewed since day one. Yeah. It is a different beer today than it was five years ago. Mm -hmm. And some of that is just like, we've gotten better at brewing. Sure, Uh, We get better ingredients. Our process is better. And some of it is just like, tastes adjust. You know, back five years ago, people were still drinking IPAs that were really bitter and dry, like the West Coast style. Today, people want IPAs that are actually, this is a good segue into the next beer, that are a little bit more hazy and juicy Mm -hmm. and sweet on the palate. So, you know, we don't just follow trends, but we are definitely constantly evolving.
3: I just want to say, um, you know, you guys not that long ago started doing the, the can stuff. Because you had, you had a bottle oh, shop, which yep. is great. Right right next to Blue Jacket is uh, the bottle shop. And the cans are so cool. And on
5: Kelsey and Greg's wedding yeah. who's it's like looking into a mirror, isn't it, Greg?
0: Look at that. Uh, Three the... <laughs>
5: years ago, my beard has gotten grayer. Your wife right?
0: looks really beautiful <laughs> just based on this yeah, she picture. Did a good job of
5: herself. Uh, that's my wife, Kelsey. Yeah. And so she's an artist and, and from time to time. We utilize her uh,
3: work on our cans, It's really fun. It's so cool. It's such a cool thing to have. Yeah, you, it's, it's You cool. ladies like the beer. Oh, right? absolutely. It tastes right? a lot so like, good.
4: It's, it's like peach juice. It just exactly tastes like, like you peach said. juice. Yeah. Yeah. It's
0: a problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Was there any
4: significance to using peaches in a wedding beer? Like, was that, as, like, your favorite fruit? Oh, uh,
0: yeah, peaches, no, that's like, a good question.
5: Um, and I'm big on narrative, so there was definitely something <laughs> Thanks, to wedding. this. So, really what happened was... We got married in um, the fall of 2015, mm-hmm. and so knowing that we wanted to brew a beer for the fall, um, my wife is actually not a big beer drinker at all. She mm-hmm. prefers um, wine and spirits and cocktails. But we want, so there was like, let's make a beer that's a little bit less beer like than yeah. uh, than others. And so, fruited beers, we make it blue jackets. And we decided to do that, and then it just came down to timing and what was fresh. Mm-hmm. So in July, we were able to get all these amazing peaches and nectarines, that's just what's available, and and also what grows well around here. You know, like, when we make beers with sour cherries, we don't use Virginia sour cherries, we use Michigan sour cherries, it's Mm. just like a better product. So, it was the confluence of great local products, availability for, you know, seasonality, that would then line up for release in the fall.
4: Yeah, I've had like the best peaches of my life, getting them from Eastern Market here, the peaches here are so good. Totally,
5: totally. In fact, the first year, we did this. My brewer Josh Chapman, uh, at the time, he's since left and he opened up a, his own brewery called Black Narrows, which is really great in Virginia. Um, he went to this farmer's market mm-hmm. on a Sunday morning, and was just like, "How many peaches do you have?" <laughs> and they had like a thousand. Pounds Can and I have like, two thousand peaches? He bought a thousand, please. and then we had to order a thousand pounds of nectarines, and then that's how oh, that's really so we, cool. the first iteration was just off the truck here. Wow. You know, it, it,
3: it's so funny you mentioned that Kelsey's not a big beer drinker because one of the things that you have absolutely done is convert Bill Press into a beer drinker. <laughs> oh, like, oh, it's, wow. Greg is the beer whisperer. Bill, before he <laughs> met you, was like, I don't want to drink beer, I don't like beer, I don't like beer. <laughs> and now... Like, he pounds him. He, he loves to drink
5: with beer a, with some pretzels on the side. Too. He, he was just
0: telling me about this. I was like, I need to get a bagel I haven't eaten. And he was like, I always just have pretzels with my <laughs> yeah. morning beer. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. He always totally <laughs> insists that we get a bag up. of pretzels yeah, yeah. when he's here. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, good so anyway, uh, so that's Kelsey and Greg's wedding ale, which is very, very it's cool. It's so delicious good. Beer. Uh, what else did you bring in? So, next we have um, a really great, like, kind of up and coming
5: local brewery that you should be on the lookout for. They're called Crooked Run. Uh, They started as a little nano brewery, so a teeny tiny brewery in Leesburg back in 2013. Started to make a little bit of a name for themselves. And so Jake and Lee, they're the owners and the brewers, um, decided to expand. And they got a space in Sterling, Virginia, right near Dulles. Sure. And have increased capacity. They're having some cans they actually brew this they brew a lot of beer on site obviously a lot of their draft beer but canning is done at beltway brewing company which is a local that helps people who don't have like uh space um for Mm -hmm. the to make the beer yeah like do some mobile canning for them and stuff like that um so uh it's brewed and canned for them by beltway but uh this is their this is their flagship ipa um so you know hop forward it uses two hops one is called mosaic uh, aptly named because of the myriad flavors it presents. Um, it's kind of piney and earthy, but also has like blueberry lemon characteristics. Mm. And then the other one is called 007. And that is uh, a hop originally from Idaho that um, is known for big orange tangerine and um, like black tea.
3: That is delicious.
4: It's like really y- juicy.
0: Yeah, it's so yeah. juicy. Do you usually like IPAs? I do. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna be honest. I haven't <laughs> taken a sip of this yet. I usually hate IPAs. We'll see. So if this is if <laughs> right. this is good, no go for it. Already, let's see. Ready? Let's see how it
3: is. Here she goes with her their sip of her IPA.
0: I don't hate it. Let's see exactly. Well, it,
5: it
3: gets into something a, you were saying yeah. earlier, yeah.
5: right? They've like, changed. I mean, to even call these IPAs, some people would be like, yeah. "This isn't really even an IPA anymore." Because what what happened was in the old days, we we would front load hopping. So the yeah. earlier you add hops in the brewing process, the more bitterness mm-hmm. is extracted. The later you add hops, the more aroma is maintained and less bitterness you get. Because the later we go in the process, the cooler the additions are. So, you know, when you're boiling and add hops, it's bitter. If you ferment and the beer is sitting at, you know, 70 degrees and you add hops, you're just going to get aroma. So that's what's happening Mm. now. We pulled the hops out of the early parts, put it in late, mostly for dry hopping is what we call it post-fermentation. So it just smells like hops really fruit-forward, a little dank in this case, and then the bitterness is very mild. Yeah. It's easier to drink and it has more of that juicy effect. I it, think
0: it, I've refused to drink IPAs for so long I didn't realize they got better. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> I, I, I was 100% guilty of the same thing. When I first met yeah. you, I would always tell you, like, I just don't like IPAs yeah. because yeah. so many of them were just like, you yeah. know, would pucker-pucker mm-hmm. yeah, up. They yeah. taste just like just so pennies. hard to drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but, but I, you know, to me, the fir- one of the first ones that really sort of, like, changed my mind was the Citra IPA that that, that you all do last weekend at, at Blue Jacket and it's just so good and it's so juicy, and it's not bitter, and I think that IPAs have this reputation for being just like really hard to drink. Yeah, and yeah it's, it's, it's seriously a
5: revolution that's happening now, because is everybody's yeah. ch- they've just become like something that everyone likes now. I mean, it used to be bitterness is a polarizing flavor, obviously, yeah. and you know a lot of people, men and women alike, just don't look for that in their drink. So people have loved IPAs forever, but now with yeah. this new style, it's definitely become more mainstream. And yeah. also, yeah,
4: there are a lot of hazy beers out there now. Like yeah. I that's Both definitely these, like uh, a yeah. beer trend is like getting a nice unfiltered hazy yeah, beer. Totally. That's <laughs> it's crazy. Good, yeah. We drink
5: with our eyes. And you know, Weiss beer, wheat beers, uh-huh. those are the ones that everybody, you know, you know, you've seen a lot a lot, a lot of German style wheat beers. Mm-hmm. They're they've been hazy for a long time. Yeah. And that's been something that's driven their popularity as people love that differentiating look. Of haze to the point now where they get some people come in if they get an IPA and it's clear, they're like, hmm. Right, What's wrong with <laughs> right, it's like I actually, mean, that's where they used to be. Yeah,
3: know? I mean, beers have for a long time been sold and, and marketed as like cool, clear, crisp, right? You know? so, yeah, and that was,
5: yeah, that's always a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. the one of the big things about these is to get that sweetness too, it's not just a lack of bitterness, to get that rich, full round sweetness, we're adding more and more. Adjunct. So, rather than just barley, which is the base for most beers, this has a lot of uh, probably has a lot of oats and or wheat, wheat in it. Oh, interesting. Because uh, that'll give you um, a richer sweetness on the palate, but also it contributes protein haze, and that's that haze that you're looking for. Yeah, and that gives it
0: that look. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned so. So so the
3: first beer that we drank was 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 not a super high ABV. Four percent ABV. This is six and a half. You could drink a lot. This is six and a half. Okay. Cool. Chicken so yep. you could definitely have a couple.
0: We're of really rolling here.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What else we got? Okay. So, next
5: we're going to do the most classic Saison in the world. It's called Saison DuPont. Most people have had it, but it's just so much fun to return to a classic. Not this, a
3: damn thing wrong with a classic. No,
5: especially because, you know, nowadays every brewery up. makes an IPA um, and a Saison. It yeah. seems like this has yeah, become yeah, yeah. a ubiquitous style, but this is a brand that in the late 80s, was, almost, was about to get discontinued by the, the DuPont brewery hmm. in Belgium. So they're from Wallonia, which is the um, French-speaking southern half of Belgium, right on the French border in Torp. And this is a, a farm that's been there since the 18th century. Um, but they've been brewing there since the middle of the 19th. And... Yeah. Have you ever had this before? This is a, this is a pretty classic. Not this. Beer.
4: I've had a saison, but not like the classic. I haven't had. And this the is the benchmark. Cezanne. Yeah.
5: So then, in 1920, this guy uh, Louis Dupont was was heading to Canada. He was going to go buy a farm in Canada from Belgium, and his father didn't want him to leave, so he purchased this farm brewery for him. Thanks, buddy. And the Dupont family took over. Uh, but by the time you get to the 80s, it's a farm brewery, so saisons are always coming from the farm. They were mm-hmm. produced in the spring, uh, typically either heavily spiced or hopped. Um, to have keeping power so that they'd be around for the saison uh, saisonnières the farm workers in the summer to drink while they were Hmm. tending the land I just love
3: the smell of a a saison yeah I just love it I love it and a lot of people might be turned off by it or some of the words that you use to describe it sometimes yeah it's a little rustic
5: yeah it's a a little bit earthy a little slight barnyard but not super funky I
3: think last time you were here we
5: had a beer I a
0: slight barnyard no I know (laughs) that's my fall look (laughs)
5: Last time you were here, I said like, th- I forget which beer yeah, was. It was, did, it was um, saison du potra, right. from Blogey, which is a, a brewery yes. right near here. Yes. Yeah, I am
3: which was delicious. And Amazing. I said I said it, it tastes or smells like the best parts of a bar. Yeah,
5: exactly. Totally. Like, I, love to, to, I love that.
3: I love that. It's a great
5: that. way to, to to say it. And like
3: again, some people might be turned off by it, but like,
5: so this style of beer. No one was drinking in Belgium in oh. the late 80s. The, they have another beer called oh. Moynette so which is good. a strong beer, and people were drinking that.
0: Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Isn't that good? Yeah.
5: So this, so uh, Don Feinberg and Wendy Littlefield, friends of mine, they are one of the first American importers of Belgian beer. Mm. They retired recently, but they had Van Bergen DeWolf forever. And they discovered this brewery and went to the brewery and were like, we really want to bring in Cezanne du Pot. We There's no other beer like it around. Yeah. And this brewery was like, wait, no, you, you want <coughs> the Moynette right? The stronger one. They're like, no, 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 we want this. They were just about to discontinue this beer. It was going to go away forever. Come on, really? Yeah. And so the American export business kept it alive, and then it has gone on to engender the saison boom in America. Like everybody makes a saison. It's a first ballot Hall of Fame
3: beer. Yeah. Now that I'm
0: like, like three quarters of a beer in, that's like really a heartwarming story. (laughs) Maybe a little like (laughs) getting emotional about it. Maybe a little emotional. (laughs) Like, wow, you should never give up on your dreams.
3: (laughs) Perfect. Yeah, yeah, perfect. That's so funny. That's yeah. just such a it's fascinating crazy. story. I never uh, knew that. Well,
5: just from, it's, it's hard to remember today in 2018 that there was a time when no one cared about any of this. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, right, right, yeah, right, right, that's like, true. No one, <laughs> right.
3: Like, in our lifetimes.
5: Like, yes. When I started, no yeah. one cared about That was the fun about doing this. I mean, I've been doing this for 15 years now. I, you know, I dropped out of graduate school mm. to pursue this beer dream. Thank you. And at the time, I should not have done that. Uh, people were like, not this was not profitable back then, right? Yes. You know, like this was like purely done for passion, and now it has become huge, which is amazing. But yeah, I mean, think of how many saisons once again, never got, give you know, up on your
0: beer, yeah,
5: kill, you know? yeah.
3: And and so this is six and a half percent, six and a half as well, yeah, again, you know, you mentioned it's it's not like um, you know, I think a lot of maybe this comes with age, right? Like, mm-hmm. I People have learned to enjoy and appreciate like lower alcohol beers. Right, yeah. it's not all, all yeah. not all about like you know the haymakers, right, you will just right, right. knock you out. <laughs> it you know? can be
5: early on. It is. You're right. Sure. Yeah.
3: yeah right after. I, yeah, we, I, I was guilty of that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But like you know, just a nice, good, well-made beer. Yeah. Doesn't have to be super high. No.
4: no, It's not like you're in college and you want like a double IPA. You want like a right. t- you like you have no money and you're like I'm gonna go get like a six pack of twelve <laughs> percent. Right. Beer.
5: Or a thirty right. pack of Bush Light. <laughs> 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 right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like that was it, just it, one way or the other. Yeah, just a yeah, few yeah.
3: really high ones or like
0: there a lot no of really ones. ones. No, yeah, I was going to say, that <laughs> was your move. We did the like 36 back of Miller Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. This is yeah. just such a good beer. It's
5: amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's but you're really right. Good. It is so funny as you get older. You're like, uh, people, I mean, people come in and they're like, do you have anything that's under 5%? <laughs> like, right. Like, I want to talk to my friends Guilty. for more <laughs> than two hours yeah. right now. And I can't do that if I'm drinking, even IPAs. I mean, in double IPAs, you drink two of those, you're like. Yeah. It's a different day. Yeah. yeah. It's a different day. <laughs> it is. It's
0: funny. Rebe- I think Rebecca and I are going, are, are, have just started to, started to like enter that like, oh, we're grown-ups now. Who are Come like, on in. The like, water grown-up. is fine. <laughs> right? Like, you, we have, like, one beer, and we're like, I'm
4: tired. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's <true. laughs> that's, yeah.
3: Like,
5: that's the, how it The goes. middle
4: range of beers where it's, like, a 6 or 7%, that's, like, the I'm tired beer. Exactly. Like, you have one, and
0: you're like, and I don't know exactly when that happened.
3: Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly.
0: It's, like, all, right, and so now we've, we've like, right. we'll yeah. hang out, and, like, we'll, like, Smell our beer and, like, discuss the notes. <laughs> like, when did we get this way?
3: Whoa. Okay, so th- tell us what you just poured, because so this I just, is, I this just is... took a nose full of that, and yeah. that smells If you're not amazing. expecting it's like
5: fire,
0: fire cool. chips. Fire yeah. w- chips. firewood
5: <laughs> Campfire bacon. So the, 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 the first thing is I this. That is that
0: from when I was camping last year. Beer weekend.
5: has been around for at least 12,000 years. Yeah. Okay, and, uh, but until really the last 150 years, Ooh. it was... Uh, kind of a crapshoot what you're going to get. Because they didn't have science, technology, stainless steel, you know, utilized in the process. So beer would have been rustic. Um, Most beer would have been dark. Most beer would have had at least a hint of smoky flavor because when you malt grain um, to be able to make beer out of it, you have to dry it over some kind of heat source. And so, until recently, past 300 years or so, you just use whatever your local heat source was. So, Mm. if you're in Scotland or Ireland or Scandinavia, you're burning peat as your heat source. And so, if you dry grains during the malting process and make beer out of it, it's going to taste like peat. And then, once distillation's invented and travels from North Africa up to the Isles, and you distill that beer, it becomes single malt scotch. Mm. That's why that smells like peat. Oh, wow. That smells amazing. Yeah. And so, this one is not is landlocked. So this is from Bamberg, mm-hmm. which is, it's called Schlenkerla, which is uh, northern Bavaria, closer to Frankfurt than it is to Munich. Mm-hmm. And they dry their grains during the malting process, not over peat fires, but over beechwood fires. Huh. So beechwood is a, a brittle wood that's good for really nothing but burning as kindling. Mm-hmm. And lucky for them, when you burn beechwood, it imparts uh, this flavor of smoked meats, to yeah. the grain and then the resulting beer.
3: I mean it, it really does smell
5: it like smells bacon. It's
0: crazy good. Yeah, it really does. I went yeah. camping last week and I I love the smell of a campfire yeah, and yeah. I like kind of I left a hat like I put everything else in the wash and then realized I'd like left a hat out. I found it yesterday and I smelled it and I was like, "Oh, I love oh, that amazing. smell." Yeah, yeah, and I best. smelled it smells exactly yeah, 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 like totally. this. <laughs>
4: in yeah. the
0: best way. I yeah. don't mean that gross at all. It smells no, no, so good. good. Yeah, no, it's campfire. Yeah.
5: So the reason I wanted to bring this is because the style of Oktoberfest we all know about, right? And, Mm. you know, we drink them every fall, actually every July it seems like. Now they come out. Um, And so, like, Oktoberfest is a style that comes from an old tradition of this. You brew it in March. That's why it's also called Merzen. And then Mm. you drink it all summer, just like the saisons. And then when you get to October, September... People would start rebrewing fresh beer because mm. in the old days, without refrigeration, you didn't brew in yeah. the summer. It was too hot; wow. beers would get affected. So when you start rebrewing fresh beer, you want to drink that and not the old stuff. Right. So when farmers and plebes in like Bavaria would have um, agricultural harvest parties, they would get to drink the old stuff. Mm.
3: And you know that's what this is. You know what's interesting to me is it it, it smells very, very smoky. but it de- I mean, it definitely tastes of smoke, but yeah. it doesn't it's taste as smoky
5: as, as it smell. smells. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. No, not at all. Which is a cool balance to it. I, I love it. Yeah.
3: I think that's awesome. Can I pour
5: yeah. one more beer just to, to close this out? Yeah, please. Okay. Yeah. Let's
0: do it. No, I... We, sorry.
5: <laughs> <laughs> so we're finishing with another Blue Jacket beer. And this is uh, a beer called Caribou. We
3: just brewed it. Um, for the first time ever, again, these cans are so cool.
0: Yeah, there's a this is a a, a caribou, you
3: say?
5: Yeah, um, it is uh, look how dark that is. There
0: there is a (laughs) mousse on the outside, (laughs) a little bit
5: of an an issue with our label. Look how dark that is, though. Yeah, so this is a sweet stout, it's about eight percent alcohol. There is lactose in it, um, to give it some sweet, um, flavors, some oats for silky richness, uh. Vanilla beans, mm. cocoa nibs, Whoa, and then the smell on peanut butter.
3: The smell on
0: that Ooh. is <sighs>
3: unbelievable. And sea salt as well.
0: This is the only thing I've ever loved. Oh.
3: <laughs> <I> <laughs>
5: the
0: smell on that it is yet.
3: crazy. So
4: it's, we wanted
3: it to taste like a you Reese's kidding? peanut butter cup.
4: Yeah, well, it sure smells like it. All
3: right, tell me again what goes in it. Peanut butter, vanilla beans, cocoa nibs, yeah. and a little and sea salt. And it's like dessert. I mean, this is very
0: How is it?
4: sweet,
3: Ooh. pastry stout.
4: Yeah. Everything he said is
5: sugary, (laughs) you know. Like it is one hundred percent that way. Oh my god, rich and creamy on the palate.
4: Huh.
5: Oh my god. Yeah. That's tasty.
4: Yeah. Yeah. That's That's so so... good. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it's, oh, it's dessert. It's,
3: yeah, totally. It's dessert. Like I
4: it, would skip. It
0: tastes like a milkshake.
4: Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. It, has yeah. A yeah. To it, it does. It yeah, does totally. It tasted. It tastes like a like a thin milkshake. Yeah, that's, that's my very serious. It also
4: is not like super as like heavy as like other yeah. dark beers, and that's something I found with um, Mexican Radio at Blue Jacket. We're like, I feel like I can drink that year round, totally. even though it is like a dark yeah. beer. Like I feel like I can have that in the. That's summer. cool, that you know. that. Be- so that base, yeah.
5: the base recipe for Mexican Radio, is the base for this beer. Oh, interesting. So we just instead of in Mexican Radio, we do. Ancho chili peppers and right. cinnamon sticks, vanilla and nibs. Right. We pulled out the cin- we pulled out the cinnamon and ancho and added a ton of peanut butter. Okay, yeah, that mm-hmm. makes sense.
0: Then awesome, that's
3: so good. That's insane. <laughs> well, you know, like it's so interesting to me because now we're in this weird period of beers where people are brewing. With like everything, right? Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I saw somebody did, you know, like a fried chicken beer, or you know, why like... not?
4: Sure. <laughs> well, and it's just kind of
3: like, like, like I, part of me feels like, oh, this is kind of stunty, and, yeah. yeah. And, but also at the other, on the other hand, it's like, well, you could. I mean, sky's the limit. It's just fun. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. You yeah, know,
5: like I mean. I try so hard to not be curmudgeonly when it comes to beer, you know, and like to be like, this isn't beer. It's like, no, it is. And it's really great. But so what we do at Blue Jacket, which I think is is perfect, is, yes, we make beers with peaches. We even this is the first time i made a beer with peanut butter. However, we also have five or six classic lagers Mm -hmm. every day. We have English style bitter on cask, you know, so we kind of get to have it both ways. We have classics and off-the-wall zany innovations as
3: I, well. I may never drink another beer that's not a peanut butter beer. I like, This <laughs> is I honestly am. one of I the, the best beers I've ever had. Peaches had. For, for breakfast and, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
5: and
0: peanut butter for dessert. So it's so a
3: well-rounded breakfast. We had the bacon,
5: yeah, we had yeah. the peaches, we, really, had the we got the butter. protein
0: from the peanut butter. Yeah. We
3: had the mm-hmm. best parts of the barn. Yeah. yeah exactly. exactly. I feel yeah. like we're ready to go face Labor Day now.
0: <laughs> you know, uh, I was right. just gonna say one of the so I moved from New York and I really missed New York and like moving to DC made me all like mis- like sad and lonely all the time. This is going somewhere nice, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of the things I really fell in love with when I got to DC was the like cocktail culture and mm. there's this really like fun. Mm people are making fun cocktails everywhere. And I'm not as much of a beer drinker as I am, like you were saying about your wife, but like it seems to me like there's a really fun, it's similar like beer culture of like, people are trying fun things just because they want to and like consumers and drinkers are excited about it. And they like wanna try something that has peanut butter in it. And I think that's a really, really fun, unique thing that's really neat. Have you been
5: to service bar?
0: No, have you? I have, yes. Where is it?
5: Uh, Like, I guess U, U Street.
0: U Street and... In... Shaw? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I have
5: But anyways, it's an amazing cocktail place, yeah. and we are brewing a beer for them. Are you it's really? It's going to be called Hurricane Alley. It's a hurricane base beer, so it's like a sour beer oh, with a ton of passion fruit and sweet cherry in it. Ooh, hell yeah. yes! So yeah. there go together there. <laughs> well,
3: uh, thank you very much, Greg. For those of you uh, that are in the D.C. area or anywhere close to D.C. or hell, even if you're not close to D.C., come to Snallygaster. It's October twelfth. October 13th, October 13th. Check out snallygasterdc.com. You get your tickets there. Greg Engert, he uh, runs Blue Jacket, my favorite brewery here in Washington, D.C. Y'all come check that out while you're in town. Uh, And also is the uh, beer director for the neighborhood restaurant group. Uh, thanks, Greg. I appreciate you coming in and helping us celebrate Labor yeah. Day. Thank you. So along much. with Thank Rebecca you, Greg. and so yeah. Progress, yeah. and Addie Baird. Again, the Chaos Twins from Bank <laughs> Progress. Thank you so much, ladies. I appreciate y'all coming in as well. <laughs> Happy one. Labor Day, everybody. Happy have
0: Labor a- Day. Have a beer
3: on <laughs> us. We'll see you later.